Welcome to episode 140 of District of Conservation. This is your host, Gabriella Hoffman. I hope you found my interview with Senator Mike Lee to be thought-provoking and interesting. Let me know and chime in on your thoughts on social media and also by leaving reviews. Today's episode is going to largely expand on what was touched upon yesterday. I'm going to more precisely comb through President Biden's executive orders relating to national monument designations and also response from some Native American tribes who are very dismayed with his decision to halt federal oil and gas leases for 60 days at minimum. This should be a pretty interesting overview. These subjects are pretty complex and I want to contextualize them and break them down for you all if you have any questions about it. I'm going to read for you guys from President Biden's executive order dated Thursday, January 21st, just right after he assumed office. Here is what that stipulates. And as it relates to restoring national monuments, it is section three. And it reads like this. The Secretary of the Interior, as appropriate and consistent with applicable law, including the Antiquities Act, shall, in consultation with the Attorney General, the Secretaries of Agriculture and Commerce, the Chair of the Council on Environmental Quality, and tribal governments, conduct a review of the monument boundaries and conditions that were established on December 4th, 2017, modifying the Bears Ears National Monument Proclamation, modifying the Grand Staircase Escalante National Monument, and another one on June 5th, 2020, modifying the Northeast Canyons and Seamounts Marine National Monument to determine whether restoration of the monument boundaries and conditions that existed as of January 20th, 2017 would be appropriate. The second section of that executive order stipulates within 60 days of the date of this order, the Secretary of the Interior shall submit a report to the President summarizing the findings of the review conducted pursuant to subsection A, which shall include recommendations for such presidential actions or other actions consistent with law as the Secretary may consider appropriate to carry out the policy set forth in section one of the order. The Attorney General may, as appropriate and consistent with applicable law, provide notice of this order to any court with jurisdiction over pending litigation related to Grant Staircase Escalante Bears Ears and the Northeast Canyons and Seamounts Marine National Monuments, and may, in his discretion, request that the court stay the litigation or otherwise delay further litigation or seek appropriate relief consistent with this order pending the completion of the actions described in Section A of the section. Now, this is in response to... President Trump ordering a review of national monuments in April 2017. He first directed Secretary Zinke at the time to overview and do this. And in the summer, it announced what they were looking to do. And I'm going to link for this in the show notes. And the review of national monuments that was revealed and finalized in December 2017 actually found that These national monuments in question, Bears Ears from Obama's Midnight Order on December 2016, would still exist but be demonstrably shrunk. Grand Staircase Escalante, which hails from the Clinton presidency, would also be minimized. And actually, that final review created a few new national monuments, and I'm going to link to that for you guys for reference, of course. But again, the Utah delegation was not consulted and informed of this decision, And Senator Lee, like I had mentioned, talked about this. 
previously and to know exactly what the Antiquities Act is. I'm going to read for you guys what the law stipulates and why there's this back and forth over whether or not presidents can shrink or enlarge or designate new national monuments. I'm going to get to an interesting article actually establishing that presidents have authority to shrink national monuments. But first, we're going to read I'm going to read for you the law. Section 2 is the section of the law that stipulates what presidential authority is. And it reads that the President of the United States is hereby authorized in his discretion to declare by public proclamation historic landmarks, historic and prehistoric structures, and other objects of historic or scientific interest that are situated upon the lands owned or controlled by the government of the United States to be national monuments and may reserve as a part thereof parcels of land, the limits of which in all cases shall be confined to the smallest area compatible with proper law and management of the objects to be protected, provided that when such objects are situated upon a tract covered by a bona fide unperfected claim or held in private ownership, the tract or so much thereof may be necessary for the proper care and management of the object may be relinquished to the government and the Secretary of Interior is thereby authorized to accept the relinquishment of such tracts in behalf of the government of the United States. So the contention is over whether presidents can formally do acts of diminishment in terms of reducing the size of monuments. And it reads, Critics claim that the Antiquities Act does not formally grant the president the power to undo what a predecessor has done. Instead, it grants a president power to do something. Specifically, he can designate new monuments or expand existing ones. However, it does not grant the power to diminish. On its face, that is correct, they write. The Antiquities Act does not engage the issue of diminishment. However, that does not mean that such a power cannot be implied. Others argue that a 1976 statute, the Federal Land Policy and Management Act, limits the president as it engages diminishment directly, noting limitations on the Secretary of Interior to modify existing protected areas. Two challenges emerge from this argument. First is that the law is explicit in limiting the Interior Secretary's power, not the president's power. Even though Congress had congressional authority to limit the president's powers explicitly, second, Congress, in engaging limitations broadly, listed numerous areas of law in which the executive branch would be restricted from diminishment or abolition and failed to include the Antiquities Act in this list. It is true that the first part of the law grants the president the power to establish national monuments. The second part of the grant... The second part the second part of that grant could easily be interpreted to imply the power to diminish. That section notes the limits in which all cases shall be confined to the smallest area compatible with proper care and management of all the objects to be protected. Here, Brooking Institution writes, a president is charged to make this area as small as is needed. Courts have ruled several times on cases involving the Antiquities Act without once challenging the president's discretion on the grounds of the size of the monument, even as cases dealt with some of the nation's largest national monuments. A lot of people were claiming that President Trump was the first person to pursue diminishments in national monuments. They also continue in this article, one way to consider open legal questions about presidential power involves practice. Courts rely on precedent, but so too do presidents. Informal rules and norms within the presidency can be looked at by the courts when legislative language is vague and a new issue arises. 
President Trump is the 20th president to serve since the passage of the Antiquities Act. If none of his predecessors ever sought to diminish a national monument, that could signal an expectation among presidents about the continuity of national monuments and their own interpretation of the statute. So what's the verdict? President Trump was in pretty good company. Here are the other presidents who reduced monuments. Presidents Eisenhower, Truman, Taft on multiple occasions, Wilson and Coolidge apparently had reduced national monuments significantly. None of those diminishments were reversed by the courts. So this is where Congress will have to come in to rectify whether or not there are limits to presidential powers over national monument designation. And I suspect we're going to hear more about Senator Mike Lee's bills. Maybe there will be some bills from the other side that are introduced. I want to touch upon some of the downsides to national monument designations as it relates to access. The reason why you sometimes see opposition to expanding national monuments, especially without consulting all key stakeholders, is the fact that actually hunters and anglers do get shut out of opportunities to go fishing and hunting on national monuments. Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation says this of national monuments, sportsmen and national monuments. It's complicated and that's okay. To those that depend on access to federal land for hunting, fishing, trapping, target shooting, particularly at West, where more than 70% of hunters rely on public land, the prospect of losing these opportunities is unconscionable. And this was in response to Ryan Zinke's executive order from April 2017. When it comes to national monuments and America's sportsmen and women, it is in our best interest to avoid approaching interiors review as a zero-sum game. With the Antiquities Act having been around for more than a century, there are numerous examples of how these designations have accommodated, improved, and protected hunting, fishing, and habitat admirably. Conversely, monument designations also have have also negatively impacted recreational access and state wildlife agencies' ability to effectively manage fish and wildlife species and their habitats. And that's why oversimplified statements like, quote, an attack on one monument is an attack on them all, end quote, don't make a whole lot of sense. It is still a fact that with or without monument designation, these lands are already public lands and will remain so only through due diligence and United Sportsman Community Focus. That's one. I'm also going to read for you an op-ed written by, I believe it was Becky Humphreys of National Wild Turkey Federation and Paul Phillips and Gray Thornton. This was dated August 2017. Here's what they say about national monuments. Monuments are considered capstones of conservation, but important details have been overlooked. All monument designations are applied to existing federal public lands, which make it easy to proclaim conservation success on paper. But what goes into a true conservation success is a combination of actual work on the land and the appreciation the public gets by visiting the land. This requires professional conservation managers doing the work and people with varied recreational interests given opportunity to appreciate the results. Both need access for conservation to work. While well-intended, designation of large tracts of public lands as monuments without provision for access can lead to a loss of conservation value. Restricted recreational access and reduced management of wildlife habitats can lead to dwindling wildlife populations and less community involvement on the management of lands in their backyards. The Department of Interior's review brings forward vital issues of assuring the future of federal public lands and improving their ecological, economic, and recreational value. If the public, especially local communities, do not support the designations, the value is diminished in their eyes. If the lack of management results in reduced wildlife populations, 
loss of recreational opportunities, and local economies are hurt as a result, support will wane for federal land ownership in general, national monument or otherwise. And they reference the examples of Castle Mountains National Monument in California, the Rio Grande del Norte National Monument in New Mexico, and a few others there. And I'm going to link to this as well. And I will read for you kind of the State Wildlife Agency case study from Arizona Fishing Game about how kind of like these two aforementioned articles said that um, it doesn't really give deference to everyone who should have access to this. And it certainly could restrict people in the future if examination, discussion, dialogue is not taken into account. So Arizona Fishing Game said, effects of a designation on the use and enjoyment of non-federal lands with or within or beyond monument boundaries, hunting and fishing, many national parks offer world-class hunting and fishing. For that to continue, designations need to be locally driven, transparent, incorporate science-based management and conservation of important fish and wildlife habitat, and uphold hunting and fishing opportunities. History has shown that national monument designations set the stage for future more more restrictive designations, and they cite Petrified Forest National Monument, Seguro National Monument becoming a national park, and a few others as well, and land management further impeding public access, hunting, and management flexibility. However, U.S. Forest Service and BLM multiple-use lands within new monuments can be transferred to the National Park Service, in which a case in which case, a narrow omission and greater restrictions on management and recreational activities apply. A monument can be converted to a national park, a process that occurred for a majority of national parks in Arizona. A change in administrative oversight, e.g. conversion to a national park, is a significant for s- concern for the commission and could eliminate hunting in these areas. That is a comprehensive overview of the Antiquities Act, national monument designations, whether or not presidential authority can be limited in this regard, and how access can be limited to hunters and anglers when these national monument designations are made. So you get the full spectrum view of this very complex topic, and I hope I clarified some questions you had and your understanding of it and potentially how it can be weaponized against uh, sportsmen and women. One Native American tribe out of Utah is not happy with President Biden's secretarial order that puts a 60-day moratorium on federal leasing of oil and gas opportunities. And I'm going to read for you guys from this letter from the Utah tribe. Um, And it's important to note that every Native American, not all Native American organizations think alike politically, They have perhaps different priorities. Some may be more preservationist in their thinking, politically progressive. Others may be more conservative in their thinking. They may support true conservation efforts. And some are not wholly opposed to oil and gas exploration because it benefits their tribes economically and jobs-wise. And here is the letter that this tribe issued to the acting interior secretary. I'm going to read little bits and pieces for it because... You guys should research it as well and see the letter for yourself. But they basically said that they respectfully request that you immediately amend this new secretarial order 3395 to provide an exception for energy permits and approvals on Indian lands. The Utah 
Indian tribe and other energy-producing tribes rely on energy development to fund our governments and provide services to our members. Your order is a direct attack on our economy, sovereignty, and our right to self-determination. Indian lands are not federal public lands. Any actions on our lands and interests can only be taken after effective tribal consultation. And you can read this letter from Luke Duncan, who is the chairman of the Utah Indian Tribe Business Committee. And like I said, could this present a lot of clashing in the future between tribal interests and the Biden administration, which is supposed to be enacting and confirming the very first Native American individual to lead the Department of Interior. There was a gentleman before who I talked about who was being floated as a potential Interior Secretary head, but uh, he was number two at Interior. But uh, Deb Haaland, pending no obstacles to her confirmation process, will likely be the Interior Secretary. So does this create an issue amongst tribal interests? So that will be very interesting to see there. Um, will they give them an exemption? Will their requests to be exempted from the order be ignored? And that remains to be seen. So we'll keep tabs on that. I think it's very interesting. I have to do a better job of studying Native American interests better. I know the past administration established some various different agencies to tackle missing tribal women, uh, something that really didn't get covered by the news media much. But certainly we're going to see perhaps tension between tribal interests, especially if they don't have these permits reinstalled. Thank you for listening to this installment of District of Conservation. If you liked what you hear, make sure you're subscribed to us. If you're just listening, just acquainting yourself with the podcast and kind of the musings I bring here, the guests that we bring on, find us on Apple and all these other different platforms. But Apple is our go-to. I think 60-some-odd percent of our listenership hails from Apple. So thank you for listening on Apple. And thank you guys for helping the podcast trend. I think because of my appearance on Lone Star Outdoor Show and Fallfront Waterfowl Podcast, we have had a lot of new listeners, which is exciting. Thank you guys for discovering and checking this out. I hope you find the content interesting and riveting and compelling. Make sure you follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter to never miss a beat nor guest announcement. You can follow me personally. I can include links in the show notes for you guys to connect with me if you have a hard time finding me and want to see what I'm up to and what happens on the podcast kind of behind the scenes. Make sure to do that as well. I'll be having some more guests coming on. I believe we're going to speak to Brian and Bruce from Sportsman's Alliance again to kind of get an update as to what hunting legislation is pending at different state legislatures and even federally if we gloss those over. And I'm going to be talking to someone I befriended at the South Dakota Buffalo Roundup. I met him and his wife, and he runs an energy company, a solar company, believe it or not. And he's someone who worked in oil and gas and doesn't believe that those two sectors of energy have to be at odds with one another. So I think his perspective is going to be really interesting. You're going to learn more about him next week on the podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Go leave us some reviews. Chime in on social media and tell your friends about the show and let me know what your feedback is and what you'd like to hear, guest suggestions, content, topics, etc. Until next week, I'm signing off. Happy fishing and happy hunting, everyone.